To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus in the pilgrim life. Uh, To journey through life, not pursuing and following our own interests toward a destination and a destiny that we personally determine for ourselves. But to be a follower of Jesus means we're going on a pilgrimage with Jesus on this narrow, difficult path to eternal life. The pilgrim life is a way of living in this world without adopting the beliefs, practices, and values of this world. And instead, it's to be shaped uh, by the beliefs, values, and practices of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that's here and now, and yet also growing and coming into its fullness. So what we're doing over this five-week series is looking at five different aspects of the pilgrim life. Uh, Two weeks ago, week one, we considered pilgrim vision. How how do pilgrims see the the world? And the way pilgrims see the world and the road ahead is by God's word. God's word, the Bible, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Christians are to see the world, see the joys, see the sorrows of it by faith and not by sight. Last week in week two, we looked at pilgrim discipline. That walking along this road following Jesus is often an incredibly difficult one. And we, like athletes in in sports, need need real discipline to stay on this road. We need to focus. We need hard work. We need to pursue godliness in all aspects of our life. And importantly, we need to allow the joy that's set before us at the end of this road, our hope in Christ, to power, to motivate us through this whole journey. This is week three, and we'll be looking at another important aspect of the pilgrim life— pilgrim friendship, pilgrim friendships. As we journey through life following Jesus, listen, we're not alone. If if you're being, if you hear God's invitation to you this morning to begin to follow Jesus, you're not on your own. You are surrounded by friends and family who themselves are following after Jesus. Uh, Christians in the pilgrim life, they must find themselves surrounded by men and women traveling alongside of them because this is God's very care for them. This is his idea. When you become a Christian, you don't become a lone ranger. You, you, you receive brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, friends in the faith who will walk with you through all of life's ups and downs until we arrive together at our final destination. Friendship, like all things, actually requires God's light, God's word to shine on it. There are, there are lots of ideas in our world. There are uh, television programs called Friends um, that, that give us a vision of what friendship is all about. Uh, what a good friend is, what a bad friend is, the value, the purpose of friendship. And yet as pilgrims, we need pilgrim vision, a pilgrim vision of friendship. We need God's word to shine uh, its light on friendship. True friendship may not actually be what you think it is. It's what God says it is. And so this morning, we'll be looking at a few passages. We'll be looking at the book of Proverbs, which is a wisdom book, contains lots of sayings about the kinds of friends that we should want to be, the kinds of friends we have. A very large theme running throughout the book of Proverbs is that friends become means of us becoming either wise or becoming fools. So we need to be cautious about the kinds of friends that we are or have. Our longer reading, if you can see there from John chapter 15, is from John's gospel. This is a first century record of Jesus' life and ministry. It's taken from Jesus' farewell discourse. Uh, This is the last time that Jesus is with his disciples before he's arrested, before he's crucified. He's giving some final instructions to them before his death and his eventual resurrection. So what we're listening to in chapter 15 is part of Jesus' preparing his disciples, his followers, for all that's ahead So again, let me encourage you to turn to the scriptures either in in your Bible or on the worship guide. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
27, 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then John 15, the words of our Lord. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy these, were, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, what a gift friendship is. Thank you for gifting it to so many of us and showing us the way by your word on how to choose and how to, how to become better friends. Father, would you now give us your spirit to convict and, and rebuke many of us for being unfaithful or disobedient in our friendships, for not being the kinds of friends that you call us in your word to be. Would you strengthen us now as we're shaped by the scriptures to become your faithful pilgrim people, to become good and faithful friends as we follow your son, Christ, who is the friend of sinners. We ask this for the sake of your glory and name and for your people's good. Amen. If you've been at Christchurch long enough, you know how much I like the writings of both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. It's not original as a Presbyterian minister to like these guys. I just have no choice. They're fantastic. Lewis, if you're familiar with him, he wrote a fantasy series called The Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote lots of deep, very helpful books about the Christian life, books like Mere Christianity, uh, The Screwtape Letters. Tolkien, of course, created the universe of Middle Earth and the fantasy epic The Lord of the Rings. I don't have a Lord of the Rings quote today to go along with it, but just trust me, I've got a few in the bank. Now, what not everybody knows about these two guys is that they were dear, dear friends. Both Lewis and Tolkien, they were veterans of World War I. Both of them had a profound love of Norse mythology. Both of them lost their parents in childhood tragedy. And both became respected scholars and professors in their fields at Oxford, where they met. They had a very similar sense of humor, a kind of strange one. There's a story about Tolkien and Lewis both showing up to a party dressed as polar bears. And it wasn't a costume party. This is, just, this is just a normal party that they showed up dressed as bears. Again, both of them were literary giants, then and now. Uh, uh, their friendship o over the course of many cups of teas and, and pints of beer, brainstorming and arguments, reading each other their early drafts, out of, these, out of this friendship came Narnia and Middle Earth. At the beginning of their friendship, though, there was an important difference. Tolkien was a faithful, devoted follower of Christ, and Lewis was not. He was an atheist or an agnostic at best. And this didn't sit well with Tolkien. Despite all they shared, despite all their common loves, he wanted more. He wanted better for his dear, dear friend. And so Tolkien, along with another mutual uh, Christian friend, a guy named Hugo Dyson, they met with Lewis regularly to talk about life, to talk about books, to talk about theology. And these talks, we, we know from Lewis's letters, which he wrote to other friends after the fact, they were an instrumental force in Lewis's life to bring him into the life of faith, to chisel away at his long-held unbelief. 
Lewis came to believe the story about Jesus Christ, which mattered so much to his dear friend Tolkien. He believed that this story was true, that who Jesus was and what he came to do, it mattered, that it was worth building his whole life on, and that's exactly what he did. See, friendship, it has the power to shape and to mold us, to take us in directions that we, we didn't originally plan to go on on our own. This can be in a very good direction. It could also be in a very bad direction. We are the company that we keep. Friends who care for us and they speak the truth to us, they can deepen our faith. They can make us more whole. Some relationships that we have, of course, may pull us away from Christ, pull us more into worldly values. Friendship in the world, apart from the church, apart from Christ, it can be deeply enjoyable. It can actually be very helpful in many different ways. This is part of God's grace to the world, sharing a common sense of humor, passion for books, spending long hours together and having similar careers. All of these are good, and yet they're not the deepest sources. They're not the purpose, fundamentally, of friendship. When the scriptures shine a light on friendship, we see friendship in all of its sweetness as God intended it. We see that uh, what being a true friend about is all about is about being a pilgrim friend. It's all about journeying together after Jesus. We see that being a true friend is, is, is engaging in pilgrim friendship, and we see that in texts like what we have from Proverbs and John chapter 15. So as we go through the sermon this morning, we're going to be kind of filling out a, a very short definition of pilgrim friendship, and this is the first part. Pilgrim friendship is rooted in friendship with Jesus. It's the first thing that you need to know about this kind of friendship. It is rooted in friendship with Jesus. The way to grow in true friendship with other people is to first be a friend of Jesus. Friendship with Jesus is the only soil from which the fruit of genuine pilgrim friendships can grow. It's Jesus that we're called to follow together. And Jesus who empowers us to be the best kinds of friends to each other. Jesus speaks to his people. If you look at uh, verse 11 of chapter 15, he points out uh, the reason why he's speaking to them is so that their joy can be full. This is what Jesus is interested for his friends. He wants them to have joy. Everything he has to say to us here throughout his word is intended for our maximum joy. Following Jesus is not always easy. This is very clear, but it's best. In the end, hearing and obeying Jesus leads us to ultimate life, ultimate joy. Jesus himself experiences this ultimate joy sometimes not going by an easy road, he experiences his joy by abiding in his Father's love and keeping his Father's commandments. Hearing what the Father says, believing it, and acting on it. And Jesus, if you look at verse 10, he calls his friends to do the exact same thing. Jesus wants those following him to abide in his love, to remain in his love, to remain his friends, and this is how they do it. Uh, by hearing, by believing, by acting on what he says. Verse 14 just puts it very succinctly. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. Now, it might sound a bit odd to you for a friendship, right, doing what another person commands, but, but understand that Jesus is being the very best kind of friend to us by telling us this. He, he's, he's very clear in this text. He's not after servants. He's after friends. And as a friend, he tells us where the only path to joy is found. It's found in following him, in believing in him. We might have good things to offer to our friends, but if we want to offer them maximum joy, it'll be in obedience and trust in this Jesus. Uh, in the letter uh, 1 John, not, not John the Gospel, but 1 John chapter 2, it expresses the same truth somewhat in the negative, and this is how John writes it in chapter 2. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... And the desires of the eyes and the pride of life 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Jesus says that his friends must not be friends with the world. They, they can't adopt the beliefs, practices, and values of this world. Again, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, because everything in this world is fading away. It won't lead to final joy in life. It will lead to disappointment. Ultimately, it will lead to death, and Jesus won't have his friends live like this. He loves them too much. Friendship with Jesus is, is like being invited to a rich feast that everyone's invited to come to. But in order to come and to enjoy this feast, you first have to stop going to the dumpster to find food, is what Jesus is saying when he invites us to obey his commands. Listen, if you want to be a good friend to other people, you must first root yourself in obedience and faith to Christ. When we're his friends, we're strengthened and able to become good friends to others. We're able to care about their joy and their life. And so this idea, it moves us into the next part of understanding pilgrim friendship to complete our, our sentence on friendship. And it's this, pilgrim friendship is rooted in friendship with Jesus and is expressed through sacrificial love. Pilgrim friendship is expressed through sacrificial love. True friendship is expressed not in getting, but in giving. Not in taking life from others, but in giving our lives to them. It's not using others for our benefit, but it's being useful to them. That's true friendship. Jesus tells us that, uh, that his command is, uh, in, in verses 12 and 13, if you look at it there, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus doesn't leave it to our imagination to just kind of populate the word love with whatever we would like to. He actually defines this kind of love for us. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. To be a pilgrim friend means to lay down your life to live a life of sacrificial service for the good of your friends. Jesus is the true friend to us. Jesus is a true friend because his friendship is expressed through incredible sacrificial love. When we look at the cross, we see Jesus' friendship to sinners and sufferers. For us, Jesus endured the cross. He does this impossibly difficult thing, suffering, dying for us so that we can have life. Each of us have loved and been friends with the world and rejected friendship with God and with Christ. We've given ourselves over to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. We'd each deserve to be treated not as friends of God, but enemies of God. This is a very serious case. And so Christ, out of love for us, took our place. We deserve to be there, not him. And there Jesus was treated on the cross by God as an enemy of God. And he did so for us and in our place. See, this is the gospel. Through Christ's death, those who repent of their sins and they trust in his sacrificial love, they are forgiven, they're restored, they're brought close, they're, they are made friends. Because Jesus laid his life down for us, instead of being enemies of God, we become friends of God, dearly loved sons and daughters. Christ loves us with a sacrificial, costly love. And, th and this picture, this image of what Christ has done, this is what he now calls us to do for our friends, albeit in a, in a different kind of way. We too are called to put aside our comfort, to put aside uh, our desires, our rights, to express true friendship to others by laying down our lives for them. Proverbs 17 makes it clear that the aim of friendship is love. A friend loves at all times. Love, as Jesus defines it, 
is the central ingredient to friendship. We're to love our friends in good times, in times of adversity. Friendship is all about love. And, and Proverbs 27, if you look down at it, reminds us of one way, and there are many other ways that we can express this kind of sacrificial love, but one particular way that sacrificial love in pilgrim friendships is, is very different from a worldly understanding of friendship. The world's picture of friendship is, again, often what I get out of this, not what I give. Friendship in the world is often based on flattery, on comfort, on pumping the other person up, on giving them compliments. We think we're being very good friends to other people if we're always nice to them. If we don't ruffle their feathers, if we don't step on their toes, if we accept people just as they are and don't labor and pray for their maturity. A very common vision of friendship is just that. Love me for who I am. But of course, that's not how Jesus loves. As the old preaching adage goes, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. Jesus was and is, of course, the friend of sinners. He spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes, but of course, it was they, not Jesus, that left forever changed by these encounters, and that's because of his sacrificial love, seeking their good, not their comfort. Proverbs 27 expresses sacrificial love in this very interesting way and that's if you're paying attention through loving rebuke loving encouragement loving wounds again a very different vision of friendship that you may have a love for friends uh, that the world doesn't understand different than what comes naturally to us and that's why we need to be rooted in our friendship with Jesus and trust his words in order to learn to love like this the writer of Proverbs uh, 27, if you look at verse 5, he says that, that good friends, good friends openly rebuke good friends as the occasion requires. This isn't about having this hair trigger, you know, ready to correct somebody for any small uh, misstep, being a bit of a bossy boots. Uh, that's not what this is talking about. It's about being willing to say things in love that correct, that challenge a friend's behavior and beliefs and actions. In contrast to this, kind of the other side of the coin, is a person who might love their friend in a certain sense of the word, but who lacks the courage to risk to correct them. Their love is a hidden love. It's weak. It's an ineffectual love. Open, clear correction from, from a good friend for another friend's good is an act of sacrificial love for them. It's taking a bit of a risk to say something that's difficult. Verse 6 of Proverbs 27 tells us that the rebuking wounds that a true friend gives can be trusted. They're faithful. They're good. Again, they might not be comfortable to receive or comfortable to administer, but they're for our joy. The contrast to this is somebody who gives you kisses all day long. Who wouldn't want a friend like that? Who just loves you the way you are? It's kind of like a puppy welcoming you whenever they see you. They won't ever say a hard thing to you. They just want you to be happy. They want you to be comfortable but so in the end proves to be your enemy and not a friend, unwilling to give you the wounds that will make you whole. This is not a good friend. There's a, there's a very old quote from Plutarch that goes like this. I don't need a friend who changes when I change and who nods when I nod. My shadow does that much better. We need friends like Jesus who aren't shadows for us, but ones who love us, are willing to lay down their lives for us, to take risks in order to serve us. 
I probably shared this story with you all before here, but it's worth repeating because I, I've, been, I've been very blessed by these kinds of friendships in my life. I, uh, when I was young, when I was dating Brittany, when I was in university, I shared a house with my friend Jared, a few other roommates kind of circulated in and out, but Jared and I were there for the longest. And it was kind of a strange time for me and my life and my faith. And Jared was a good friend to me. And there was a time after a course of several weeks where Jared just kind of saw me in the living room. He's like, hey, Mike, I, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, I've noticed that over the past couple of weeks that you've been, you've been pretty selfish. You haven't been kind of carrying your load in the house. When people talk to you, you're not really paying attention to what they say. You don't seem to be very interested. You seem to just kind of be interested in yourself. And, and I don't think that's good. I don't want that for you. I want you to be changed. Uh, I, want, I want better for you as a friend. That's a friend, right? It was an open rebuke. It was a faithful wound. He exposed something in my life that wasn't right, uh, according to the scriptures. He knew that it wouldn't lead to joy or wholeness in the end, but God used it by grace to not harden my heart against my friend Jared, to make me bitter and resentful, which, which potentially it could have, but rather it softened me. It, it drew me closer to God to, to receive repentance and forgiveness, not from just, just from Jared, but against God, against whom I, I had sinned. It helped me to repent, to begin to live a life more like Jesus. Again, pilgrim friendship is rooted in friendship with Jesus. He is the source and originator of this. But then it's expressed through sacrificial love. This is how he shows his love for us. And this is how we need to show our love for our friends. C.S. Lewis spent a lot of time reflecting on friendship. He wrote a book called The Four Loves, which compares different kinds of relationships that we have in our lives. And he described friendship Friendship as being the least natural of loves, the least instinctive, uh, the least organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary, whereas feelings of romantic love, romantic relationships, familial relationships and love, they might rush on us in this kind of organic, biological way. Pilgrim friendship actually requires work. It requires a particular kind of effort. Another way of saying this is that if you're in a romantic relationship or you have family relationships, they are not naturally or automatically pilgrim friendships. It takes pilgrim discipline to see this kind of friendship happening. So whether you're dating, whether you're married, if you have kids, if you have parents, your goal should be to see these relationships in your home, in your life, be transformed into pilgrim friendships, where together you're journeying towards Jesus. I'm going to close with this now. I'm going to give you two applications of everything that we've been talking about this morning. And I'll give it to you in the form of, of two kinds of habits, a daily habit and a weekly habit, right? Two ways for all of us to become better friends on a daily basis and on a weekly basis. So this is the first, the daily habit. It's not surprising, but this is what it is. To become a good friend to others, you have to spend daily time with the best of friends. That is with Jesus. There's no friend like him. There, there is no friend like him who knows you and yet loves you. You have no friend like this who is willing to speak the truth to you, who will lay down his life at great cost to himself to see you matured and renewed and changed. Jesus called his disciples his friends. If you look at the end of verse 15, this is one of the ways that it comes across. He's, he is a friend to them because he has made known to them everything he heard from his father. Jesus is a truth teller. And so this, this daily habit, one way we are to grow 
uh, ourselves and to grow and to be the kinds of friends that, that this world needs is by daily listening to God our Father speak to us in the pages of the scriptures and responding to him in prayer, abiding in his love, lingering, remaining in this great love, daily reading and prayer, learning from our best friend how to become pilgrim friends, receiving from God rich food which we get to enjoy but also to share with our hungry friends. Developing this daily habit of time in the word and in prayer is a little bit like that order that you receive when you go on the plane, that if the oxygen masks deploy, you have to put it on yourself first before you give it to anyone else. See, you and I, we have to breathe deeply of the scriptures and be helped and be changed and be saved by them before we share Christ with others. We should, as the saying goes, talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. Before we even consider rebuking or correcting others, we need to be in the scriptures ourselves, corrected and shaped and changed. Jesus is the friend of sinners and sufferers, and so we must abide in him daily. Uh, two easy applications of this is that our church is slowly walking through the New Testament this summer. We have a Bible reading plan, same page summer. There might be some on, on, the, uh, on the back uh, table which you can pick up just so you have a, a way of reading. If that doesn't work for you, put a bookmark in Matthew as soon as you get home and just read one chapter every day. There's a couple of prayer guides on our back table. If you need help with building this daily habit, I would love to talk to you. And fortunately, you have friends in this church that would love to help you in that way as well. So that's the daily habit, just daily time in the scriptures and in prayer. Here's the weekly habit, all right? Plan to have a weekly one-hour conversation with a friend or some friends. An undistracted, unhurried time where you get to know someone else and they get to know you. I read about this habit in the book, The Common Rule by Justin Early. I'd commend it to you. It's very helpful. Uh, and this is what he writes. He writes, conversation, long, unhurried conversation is the beginning of deep friendship because it is this place where we become truly known. Often we communicate to each other using texts or email or emojis or gifts or other forms of social media connection, but this kind of communication allows us to plan and curate the versions of ourselves we want to represent to others. But these forms of communication are removed from facial expressions, body language, and tone of voice. In-person, prolonged conversation exposes us, allows us to be finally, truly known. And Justin writes in his book that it was in long conversation with friends that they began to tell each other the things they wouldn't tell anyone else, what they wanted to do with their lives, who they wanted to become, who they liked, what they were scared of. And listen, he writes this, much of friendship, much of friendship comes from admitting the things that make you seem fragile when spoken out loud. And this is why friendship is so hard. This is why it takes discipline to be a pilgrim friend. Vulnerability is risky and time is limited. Friends, we might never become fully the kinds of pilgrim friends that God is calling us to be. It is vulnerable. It's risky. It's time-consuming. Many of us feel lonely and isolated. We're hungry for this kind of friendship. And so let me encourage you as we end, be this kind of pilgrim friend to others. Reach out to the people around you. Look, look around this space. We're in this journey together. We need these kinds of friends. And also be reminded that Christ has been this kind of friend to you. He's available for you. He is there. He is willing to spend time with you. Abide in that love daily. And then love one another as he has loved you. Now may you abide in the love of Jesus, the friend of sinners. May you become the kind of friend that walks with people on the road following Jesus. May you give and receive faithful wounds 
from faithful friends, and may you love because Christ first loved you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for your kindness in speaking to us. Father, thank you for sending your son who who came to be a friend of sinners. Lord, would you help us to receive life and joy in him and to be able to have something good to share with those around us who are hungry and so needy. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your great love for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.